Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, 2024 is an election year. And even though we still have 10 months until election day, the presidential race is in full swing. Tam, have you watched any of the like 11,000 Republican debates that they've had? No. Yeah, so I the Republicans... I just kind of stay away from that stuff right now. Yeah, it's it's um, mildly interesting sometimes. But the Republicans are pretending like they don't know that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And so... Uh, we're going to have the you know this little Trump Biden rematch in November uh which is you know it's an offering of two candidates that uh, a majority of the country absolutely does not want. If we just go by the numbers, the most people don't want either of these. And yet for the second time our our system of government is like here pick one of these two. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but in the ramp up to that, both Biden and Trump, they are regularly holding campaign events. I don't think Trump ever stopped holding campaign events ever, like since like 2015. Right. Like he just keeps on a continuous loop. Uh, but Biden, he's ramped that up. And uh, he recently held a campaign event at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And that's actually a really significant location uh, because that church – uh, has you know historic roots in uh, the American Reconstruction era, just after Civil War. It was founded actually before Civil War, um, and it was a part of the Civil Rights Movement. And it's also the place where uh, tragedy struck in 2015 when uh, Dylan Roof he he walked in and he murdered nine people in a racially motivated mass shooting, and that was like really. Uh, a, a shocking reminder that white supremacy is not a thing of the past in America. And so, Roof, he's now on death row. But one of the more amazing aspects of this story, and I'm sure you remember this, Tamara, was that when uh, Roof was in court, there were members of this church that actually came in to give uh, like like impact testimony. And they uh, they forgave him. They offered him forgiveness. They preached the message of the gospel to him. And so this was just like this really amazing, powerful story that there is this church that uh, has long fought for racial justice in America in a variety of different ways and at a variety of different times. And when a white supremacist came into their midst and killed their loved ones in cold blood, they also preached the gospel to him and offered forgiveness to him in Jesus. And so this is like a really like a sterling example of like, the black church in America at its best, like the, like completely just like uh, focused on the gospel, but like also really focused on issues of justice and moving that ball forward while at the same time, not dehumanizing the very people who are oppressing them. And so it's this really significant place. Right. It's a moment within uh, recent history that matters, which is very likely why uh, president Joe Biden went there because him and his team understand the impact of going to this particular church. Yeah. And so Biden, his speech touched on some of that, the shooting itself. Um, and it had actually happened. Uh, Biden kind of has sort of a, a personal connection with it. It happened uh, about two weeks after Biden's son, Bo Biden, had died of a brain tumor. And uh, Joe Biden, he was vice president at the time. And so he uh, was part of the vigil. 
uh, after those those nine members of Mother Emanuel Church were murdered. And he just kind of recalled like sharing the grief of that moment while he had lost his son. They had lost nine of their church members to this violent act of white supremacy. And so he kind of like began his speech touching on that. But then really after that, he kind of gave the standard boilerplate uh, campaign remarks. And um, like you said, this was a really strategic move for him. Um, like he does have personal connections at, at, at this church. But at the same time, there's a very... Uh, stark reality that if you if you are a Democrat wanting to secure the presidency in America, you need the vote of the people of the black church. And what better black church to go to to drum up support uh, than this one? And so uh, that's kind of the situation as it unfolded. Well, some conservatives, they were upset at other conservatives for not being upset enough about uh, Biden doing this and for not calling him a Christian nationalist for saying political things from the stage of a church. And so, uh, you know, and the, the accusation, there's, there's some merit to it, actually, that, uh, that, you know, some of the quote unquote evangelical elites have been, you know, warning Christians about right wing Christian nationalism, about an unholy mixing of politics and religion, um, but then didn't really have anything critical to say. Uh, about what Biden did uh, just this past week uh, at this church. And uh, one conservative reporter, who I won't name here, they tweeted, I look forward to Russell Moore, Tim Alberta, and David French, etc., rebuking this terrifying conflation of faith and politics, end quote. And so that's kind of been the common thread of like, oh, you're so worried about Christian nationalism, but when a liberal stands up on our Christian stage, all of a sudden, you're not worried about it. Uh, and so... Uh, on the face of it, it makes sense. Uh, when Donald Trump, he appeared uh, on the stage of, for instance, uh, First Baptist Church in Dallas a couple of years ago, uh, a lot of evangelicals were very much up in arms. But the question is, is this the same thing as that? And so that's what I want to talk about today. Is Biden giving a campaign speech at Mother Emanuel AME Church the same thing as Trump delivering remarks during a Christmas service at First Baptist Dallas. So I want to kind of like wrestle with that a little bit, but even more generally, as we're looking ahead to, you know, 2024, the bulk of it kind of probably being consumed by uh, presidential politics, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the guardrails for Christians in their engagement with politics this year, because things are going to get crazy. And so I just want to talk about uh, what's really for Christians inbounds, what is out of bounds, what do we need to be careful of and Maybe where can we feel empowered? So that's what I want to talk about today, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. 
Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Okay, Tamara, let me take you back a couple of years. Back in time. I was younger then. Yeah. Much younger. Yeah. Uh, The date is December 19th, 2021. It is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and you are an attender of First Baptist Dallas. Now, for those of you uh, who don't know much about First Baptist Dallas, it's actually a fairly significant church in the Southern Baptist Convention. So a guy named W.A. Criswell, who was also the founder of Criswell College, uh, and he was also a key figure in the so-called conservative resurgence in the SBC, where they kind of kicked out all the liberals uh, out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, He was a pastor there for, I don't know, 40, 50 years. And this church, it's it's fairly large in size. It's more than uh, 10,000 members. I think the last estimate I saw was from a number of years ago, and it was like 13,000 members of this church. So it's not a small place. Uh, And the current pastor of the church is Robert Jeffress, who served on Trump's spiritual advisory board and has really been a longtime defender of Trump, uh, even in moments where Trump's actions have been fairly unequivocally indefensible. And so um, there's been a couple times where he's been critical of the president, too. He, uh, I think mainly when, he, uh, when Trump has continued to deny the results of the 2020 election, I think at one point Jeffress said, like, you should stop doing that. You should just speak the truth as to, to what happened there. But by and large, he's defended Trump pretty much at every turn. And so this is during a Christmas service, and uh, and Trump is actually invited to take the stage. This is the last Sunday of Advent on a Sunday service. Uh, and so Trump, he had some prepared remarks. Uh, we'll actually link to the video of this in the show notes if you're interested to, uh, to go back and, and watch this. But he had some prepared remarks that were written for him by his team uh, that kind of talked about Christmas and those prepared remarks are actually quite good. They were theologically sound. They were well written. Uh, but if we know anything about Trump, uh, we know that he likes to go off script. And so uh, during his remarks, he kind of got freewheeling and he started criticizing Biden, who had been president for uh, just under a year at that point. And um, kind of one of the key moments I felt like I, I rewatched this just this week uh, of that uh, that that speech or those remarks was when he uh, took credit for helping save Christianity in America in his presidency. hmm, That's an interesting thing to say as we're celebrating the advent of Jesus Christ, that you helped save Christianity in America. It's a bold claim. It's a bold claim. I mean, in other places, Trump has said that nobody has done more for evangelicalism or Christianity or frankly religion than him. So that's another another, another bold claim. Yeah, he's so yes. the, the remarks were a mixed bag. 
We'll say that at the least. But nonetheless, uh, as he concluded his remarks, uh, the congregation started chanting, USA, 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 at a Christmas service. It was, it was quite frankly, a little bizarre. Um, and so, as you might imagine, uh, when Trump does anything, uh, people come out of the woodwork to criticize him. But this time it was like really legitimate. Uh, a number of evangelicals, particularly kind of like the never Trumper uh, brand of evangelicals, uh, they really sternly criticized Jeffress for having Trump be a part of the church's Christmas services. Um, and some accused him of flirting with Christian nationalism. And that's a whole weird thing, too, because Jeffress has said, like, if uh, being a Christian nationalist means voting your convictions, then sign me up. Um, but that's not what Christian nationalism is. Christian nationalism is kind of an illiberal movement that would seek to remove religious liberty protections for people who aren't Christians or a certain type of Christian and would impose uh, a new Christendom uh, in America that is basically at odds with the Constitution. And so, but Jefferson was like, that's just voting my convictions. And so it's like there's this whole weird thing around the word Christian nationalism. I think we talked about Christian nationalism. We have articles. We have all kinds of stuff. You I'll link to that in the, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. <laughs> so, Jeffress, he caught all kinds of flack for that. Obviously, Trump caught flack for that. Um, when you stand on a, a stage at Christmas and say that you saved Christianity in America, that's an interesting thing to do. Um, so there's that. There's that whole thing. Uh, now, fast forward about two years, and now Biden is on the stage uh, holding a campaign event at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, this event, it isn't happening on a Sunday. It's happening you know, midday on a Monday. And it isn't a worship service. It's a straight-up campaign rally. Uh, but it's being held at this church. Uh, and Biden, he was introduced uh, by Congressman James Clyburn. Uh, and Clyburn gave some remarks where he praised Biden's work for appointing men and women of color to judgeships and for his work to forgive student debts. But he did also praise uh, President Biden for his vocal support of access to abortion. And so that was uttered from the stage of this church as well. And, you know, it could be argued, there was nothing said about LGBTQ, but it could be argued that Biden is the most pro-abortion, most pro-LGBTQ plus president that we've had in American history. If we just go by his public statements on both of those things, that he's the most pro of those things. And so he's being praised for at least one of those things from the stage of this church. And so then Biden gets up, and he delivers his speech, and it was bookended by chanting of four more years, four more years, four more years. There was one interesting moment um, that maybe this will come up later in our conversation as well, uh, where uh, he got heckled a little bit by people who um, were criticizing him for um, uh, not calling for a ceasefire in Israel and Gaza. And um, because he was talking about uh, I think he was talking about white supremacy and uh, preserving lives and things like that. And um, they, someone in the crowd was like, if you care so much about people's lives, like why aren't you calling for a ceasefire uh, in Gaza? And those uh, protesters were ushered out quietly, and he continued his speech. Um, and so uh, many of the evangelicals who were critical of Trump and Jeffress, um, they didn't immediately hop on Twitter or X or threads or Facebook or Zanga, or whatever platform they use to uh, criticize Biden for going to Mother Emanuel Amy Church. But they, they wrote, you know, 
article-length criticisms of Trump two years ago. And so the conservatives who are kind of on the pro-Trump side of things are like, hey, what gives? Why are you being inconsistent? So off the bat, would you say, Tamara, that these are fundamentally the same thing that is happening and that that critique is valid? Or are they fundamentally different? And if they are different, in what way? So I think it's easy to see how hmm, this might be a bit of a double standard, um, depending on what side you're sitting on, right? But you're asking, is it like, are these two fundamentally different events? Uh, I, like, they definitely is, is have, uh, Biden in danger of being a Christian nationalist as much as Robert Jeffress? What if I frame the, the conversation that way? To start? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a bit different. Um in that um, when Trump was speaking at the church, it's a Sunday morning service, um, particularly during Christmas time. So just thinking of the timing and the weight of that um, makes it different than a Monday night event that's held particularly set up as a campaign rally versus um, a Sunday morning where Trump is standing at the pulpit in in some ways, like ready to present a Christmas message, which is more like a Sunday service, right? Rather than everyone is very clearly understanding Biden came for this rally event. So I think in, in those ways, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and those differences actually matter within the course of the conversation of the weight put behind um, both of these um, politicians stepping foot in the church to push forward their own agenda. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, off the bat, the fact that uh, the Biden uh, campaign event was taking place kind of more explicitly in a non-spiritual setting. Uh, if uh, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. And Probably a non, not because it was still at a church. In a non-sacramental so. uh, setting, mm-hmm. whereas... On a Sunday morning, it's like literally we sang hymns and now here's Trump. And right. like that, you know, there's a there's a different vibe to like mm-hmm. it's almost like Trump was used as like, you know, pastors around America every Christmas are trying to find some kind of hook, some secret sensitive hook to get their attendance up on Christmas. And Jeffers kind of used Trump as this kind of uh, attractive thing to come in uh, uh, on Christmas as you know, to boost attendance for that day. Whereas um, at um, Mother Emanuel, it, it it was more them using this facility. But then at the same time, on Biden's side of things, um, he's leveraging the the credibility of that church in being not only uh, a part of the civil rights movement, but also kind of a beacon of everything that is good and beautiful about Christianity uh, and the black church. And so yeah, there's differences, but I don't think either side is like, yeah, I'm excited about this. Right. Because um, you still have two politicians that are stepping into the church that are speaking from the pulpit to push forward their political agenda. And I think that is the problem uh, that both of these events share um, and that both of these events 
participate in from the standpoint of the leadership of those churches saying like, we support this because we're letting, even if you wanted to frame it as like, oh, we just let them use our facility, um, which I don't think either church is actually framing it that way anyways. No. Like trying no. to remove themselves from the connection of the event. Um, but you are directly tying uh, the church to a politician. Uh, and I think both sides um, are exercising a great offense against the church. And even as you think about believers being called ambassadors of Christ, like we are representatives of Christ, like like that's what we're supposed to be. And then if you're welcoming in politicians, like in some ways you're drawing this connection of um, Christ is in favor of this politician. Uh, And anytime we're trying to deliver that kind of message, we go against the message itself of the kingdom of God, that the Christ is not a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, and so to try and bring the authority and the weight of Christ as um, someone who agrees with one of these politicians, that's really a great offense against the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just to, to add a layer of complexity to it, though. Yes, please do. Uh, when we think about the black church in America. Now, I grew up in white evangelicalism. So when I look at things that happen in the white evangelical church, I have a great degree of understanding history, of understanding culture, of understanding nuance, of all of those things that are happening. And so I can feel very confident about uh, speaking out on what I think is wrong or right or whatever it might be or explaining how it got to that place. When it comes to the black church, I'm a little bit less adept at that because it's, you know, it's frankly outside of my tradition and culture. Um, uh, but when we look at the, uh, the like the post-Civil War landscape, uh, oftentimes the only institutions where black folks had, you know, any sense of control or agency was their own churches. And so black churches have long been organizing centers for like the civil rights movement. And really, the or, it was the organizing center for the entire community in a lot of senses um, and has been. So in, in many ways, it's, it's different than kind of white America, who the, the church is like one of many institutions that we've had control over uh, that, that has levers that we can pull and push and organize and all those kinds of things. Whereas like the, the center of community life in a lot of black communities is the church. And that's the only institution that they have to help them organize around these uh, justice issues around values uh, around just initiatives in in the community and and all those kinds of things so with that kind of in mind uh, to what measure should we like bear that in mind when we think about uh, the politics of the black church and the way that they interact with that in a way that's maybe different than white evangelicalism in politics that certain things uh, should be critiqued differently or to what measure uh, should we still just be squeamish about the fact that Biden is leveraging the civil rights bona fides of the black church to get himself reelected? Yeah, I think any time a politician is leveraging the church, I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of the nuances that exist within that church and within the culture, uh, I think it were, would be different if uh, you see the church... Um, being mindful of carrying out uh, the core beliefs and values of the faith and using the 
through the political channels to move that forward. So basically, if the church is finding ways to uh, leverage and, and push forward things um, as best they can in a tactful way of uh, the political landscape we're operating in, I think that is different than politicians coming in with their talking points, with their agenda, um, and using the church to move that forward. Because what that politician is saying I mean, like you referenced, is not matching the values of the church. The fact that Biden stood at this church from the pulpit talking about um, pro-abortion. Um, I don't know if that was actually in his remarks. It was in the introduction to his remarks. I'd have to go back and um, watch it again. But I don't think he specifically said that. He may have. So there's some ambiguity. But, the, okay. but that definitely was said from the stage on his behalf at the very least. Right. So for anything, I guess, to be spoken in that way that is so starkly uh, against the Christian values is where, regardless of the nuances and um, subtleties within the history of something, uh, somebody standing on the stage of a church pushing forward values and beliefs that are against the church is where I think we should be uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting to think of like how it got to Biden standing on this stage, um, having nonviolent people who are advocating for a Christian nonviolence ushered out of the room. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. When yeah. you think back to the 1950s and the 1960s, it was these, these churches, uh, these pastors uh, and leaders of black churches that were creating coalitions that were basically – um, bringing it to the White House and meeting with Lyndon Johnson, and eventually uh, that uh, meant the the passage of uh, the Civil Rights Act, of the Voting Rights Act. And so what happened after that is that once uh, folks in the black church uh, ended up getting access to uh, the ballot box, they tended to vote for uh, Democratic uh, candidates because that was the party that had fought to uh, give them that very right. And um, as the as time has gone on, it's interesting how the how the dynamic has shifted to uh, now the politicians look at the black church in a quite functional manner, whereas like before it was like these prophets coming to the the seat of power to challenge that power. Now that you know these democratic politicians understand. Uh, that if I can get in the good graces of the black church, I can get reelected. Um, it's like they, the, the something ha something has kind of soured. Something has gone rotten when now um, Biden is leveraging this the this image of the black church um, as a stand-in representation for like, hey, here's how I get the rubber stamp of you know black Christians in America, black Protestants uh, to for them to vote for me. Um, and meanwhile, there are people who are uh, advocating in that very crowd for Christian nonviolence in the ceasefire for Gaza when and, and and being ushered out when that was the whole bag of the civil rights movement coming out of that very church tradition. And so there is something that has like kind of shifted and soured uh, in that relationship in that um, the black church uh in many ways, I feel like is uh, uh, 
I don't want to discount the sincerity of Biden in his connection uh, with with these folks. But uh, certainly from a strategic standpoint, if I was a uh, political strategizer, um, the the black church in many ways has become the subject of some exploitation feels like a strong word. Um, but certainly being uh, uh, there's an attempt to leverage them uh, for partisan purposes rather than justice purposes. Right, because Biden doesn't actually align with the beliefs of the church. He aligns with some of them, but not a lot of them. Right. And you can actually say that is true on both sides, um, which just reiterates the fact that uh, the kingdom of God is not under the kingdom of America and it it doesn't fit within the party lines. Um, and so anyone who wants to say like Jesus would be voting Republican or Jesus would be voting Democrat, um, I think doesn't fully understand um, like what we read within scripture that even when Jesus came um, during a time when the Roman empire was in charge like Jesus didn't sit under that ruling and that government in the same way that Jesus wouldn't fall underneath the government of America. And um, he's he's greater than the government of America. And obviously Biden is not here trying to push forth the kingdom of God. He's trying to push forth um, his views of how America should look. The Democratic Party which platform. Which is yeah. the Democratic Party. Uh, and like that's who he is and that's his role right but for the for him to try and connect with the church in a way that says like look i am the candidate of the black church um he doesn't get to speak on behalf of the black church yeah i mean he hasn't gone as far this go around to say you ain't black if you don't vote for me which he did in 2020 so he's avoided that so far but but you can see like that's still in there you know what i mean yeah, it's just an he is using the church uh to move forward his agenda and the only time the church should be used to push forward an agenda is to push forward the agenda of Christ and if anyone is coming into the church trying to do anything other than that um I think we need to be on guard and we need to be uncomfortable about that and we need to have boundaries and guardrails to not allow that to happen. Yeah, I think definitely it's appropriate for the church to try and leverage government levers to try and advance causes that are aligned with the kingdom of God, where the problem is, is that when partisans then turn around and try to leverage the church. And I think that's what we see both on the left and on the right, but we see it specifically here in the black church with Biden. Right. And I want to be, I think you said it in a clear way but i guess just to reiterate this doesn't mean that uh we're suggesting the church shouldn't try and move through the channels of politics to uh carry out the morals and values of the church um but it's a little bit backwards when the politician is trying to leverage the church to push their agenda um so yeah basically like we as the church hey we'll come to you like you, you don't come to us is, is really the way we should be operating. Right. Yeah. Because, um, really partisan politicians see us not as groups of people with 
certain values, but really it's voting blocks. And those voting blocks right. are, are very different across different parts of the church. And a lot of it is actually racially defined. And so I want to talk a little bit about that as we look ahead to the 2024 election uh, and how maybe just understanding those realities should maybe temper us a little bit. Uh, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. So speaking more generally to kind of 2024 and politics in general, uh, when we look to uh, black Protestants, say, and white evangelicals, what's always been amazing to me is that our religious beliefs are very closely aligned when it comes to our understanding of who God is, the Trinity, biblical authority, what the gospel is, even just like uh, moral values. Uh, all of them are are very much aligned, and yet we vote for the exact opposite party platforms from each other. So in the black church, they tend to vote for Democrats. In the white church, we tend to vote for Republicans. And so um, – and I think within each of those groups, they would say – hopefully each would say – that there are parts of this platform that I'm voting for – that don't align with my theology, but there's so many different issues within that platform that I have prioritized them in a certain way that this is the most important one, and so I'm going to vote on the basis of alignment with that issue or these sets of issues. Um, and different people prioritize different things differently. Uh, so when we kind of think about that, how should that shape our thinking as we look ahead to the election year? Like, is one side right and one side wrong or is one more right or more wrong than the other uh if you just try to say like we're gonna take the biblical worldview and how do you vote is there one side that's more right than the other so the reality is we do not have a political party within america um that aligns with the biblical worldview and so because of that we have to make decisions we have to vote right like as americans that is a right we have um and and i believe it's an important right that we should be exercising uh then we also have to carry out wisdom and discernment and how we go about doing that and because there is not one side that fully aligns with scripture and with the what we are called to do as believers and, and the world that we, we envision existing around us. Um, the Republican party does not envision um, the world that, that Christ is trying to carry forth through his church. The democratic party does not envision that world either. And so because of that, we have to choose some things. And um, when you, if you're really honest, uh, both sides have a a couple of things that do align with the biblical worldview in in the way that they're caring for certain things or certain people or um, uh, programs that impact um, certain groups. And so it's complicated in that you don't just get to say, I am a member of this party because it fully aligns with the Bible. Uh, it just doesn't exist. So everyone has difficult decisions to make. And I do think in that you have to give grace to the other person who voted differently, who maybe held something else higher on um, the voting ballot than you did. Um, but that isn't to say that 
all of the items on their ballot are not important or that only one is more important than the other. Um, we have to allow for people to vote differently than us and still know that they are trying to vote their conscience in uh, trying to understand scripture and what it is that we should be pushing for. What kind of a world is it that we should be pushing for? And how do I then translate that into my voting? Uh, it's not as cut and dry, unfortunately, as either side is making it to be. And we have to give grace to those that voted differently than us. I think one of the greatest offenses that we can make against the fellow members of the church is saying, because you didn't vote my way means you're not a Christian. Right. Yeah, that's just completely unhelpful. Uh, one thing that I heard recently on, I was listening to a podcast, I can't remember where I heard it. Um, we were just talking about like this voting grid of um, how do you choose to, to vote for when you don't like any of the candidates and um, or you don't fully align at least with any of the candidates. And it was like this framework of like which of them is like uh, uh, appears to be a moral person of integrity, which of them seems competent uh, to uh, do these things like to and, and competent to um, fulfill the specific role uh, that they are trying to get elected for. So like um, the executive of the country does a very specific thing that's different from the legislators of the country or the judiciary, which, you know, a lot of those aren't elected. Uh, but, you know, the executive branch is dealing a lot with like foreign policy and like, you know, how America is, you know, interacting with the world around us and a lot of those things. Um, and so like, is the person uh, competent in those areas? And then from there, you, you look at the partisan issues that would uh, be more aligned with you. And so I think that was a helpful framework. And then it's just tough because there are a lot of really important issues uh, on both sides of the platform, whether we're talking about, you know, um, abortion, uh, racial justice, we're talking about immigration, uh, we're talking about uh, school uh, philosophy, school funding, uh, welfare funding. Uh, what's the best way to uh, make sure that the least of these in the nation are cared for? Does that mean robust government programs? Does that mean that we uh, create tax breaks for the people at the top so that they can create those things? Like, There's different philosophies on how to do that, and different people have different feelings about those things. And then we just have to figure out how to prioritize if there's, say, eight different um, issues. And it's like half of them go to one side where I feel like the Bible is pulling us in that, direct, in that direction. And then half of them go to the other side. You have to make uh, judgment calls on what you think are the most important in that list if they're not all aligned in one side, which they're not. And so I think there has to be grace for that. And like you said, uh, uh, not an impulse to say to someone that if you didn't vote the way that I voted, then Obviously, you're not a Christian. Um, Tamara, would you talk about that a little bit more? Like, like why that's a toxic framework? Like, that there is a Christian way to vote? Um, uh, but at the same time, it is true, right? That there are certain policies that we find more support for in Scripture than others. So, like, how do we balance that? Like, don't, don't be, like, toxic, like, this is what God says. Because even as we're talking, we're we're saying it's obvious to us that, God would favor one policy over the other. Um, but then someone is totalizing that to a whole party and saying like, he favors this party over that party. Like at what point is it toxic? At what point is it just good theology? 
So using the framework of this is the Christian way to vote. Um, it needs to offer some flexibility that the Christian way to vote won't necessarily align you with one particular party. And the trouble that we find ourselves in is when we want to say this party is the Christian party. Um, I do think that when it comes to certain um, items on the ballot, certain topics on the ballot, there is a like Christian way to go to view that thing. Right. Um, Particularly when we think about um, abortion and rights related to abortion, uh, caring about life and the sanctity of life is the Christian view. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so but I think even when you get into that issue now, no, you're right. The subsequent questions are a yes, lot murkier than like is. God is pro life. Yeah. How do we get to that though? Right. From a policy perspective. Yes. And so trying to start there, right? Like if if my view of the world and my view of topics and my view of things that matter in in policies and that matter in um, actual like programming and things like that. Uh, I have to begin from what does scripture say I should believe about these types of things. Um, And to be sure, there aren't like one-to-one correlations, right? Like you're talking specifically about um, the policies related to abortion isn't so much like pro-life. Here we go. Mark that on the ballot. Like there's things, (laughs) there's parameters around what does this actually look like? Um, And what about women who are uh, dealing with great health risks? Like there's so many areas related to that subject. Uh, And so the starting point is trying to pull it back a little bit and say, okay, what is the operating view that I should be looking at this from? Mm -hmm. And then how do I kind of go in deeper uh, into the actual policy? And oftentimes what you might find is if you're just looking at the items on a ballot or you're just looking at things that you're voting for, and let's say you're not even trying to uh, figure out which party is attached to which way to vote, right? So um, like if I just was completely unaware of the party line for something, uh, you would find yourself like on this thing. Well, I ended up voting like in a democratic way on this. In this way, I ended up voting in a Republican way. Uh, so if you're looking at just the issues on the ballot and trying to really arrive at them from a biblical standpoint as best we can, because again, it's not like the Bible says, like, you're going to have this on the ballot. Like, here's how you vote on it. Um, but trying to see what is the heart of of the Christian worldview and how do we actually exercise those things. So some of the stuff that you can think about is like, we should love other people, right? (laughs) Like God calls us to love, love God and to love others. And so as we're looking at something on a ballot, like this particular matter, which um, option allows me to love somebody more or love somebody less. And sometimes it's not even that easy, right? Like, well, yeah, because people come it's to different conclusions. Yeah, because some right. people would say, "I'm I'm loving my neighbor by closing the border, mm-hmm. so that their stuff doesn't get stolen and their jobs don't get stolen or whatever." And others would say, "I'm loving exactly. my neighbor by allowing the immigrant to come because the immigrant is my neighbor." Right. And so, yeah. So that's uh, and, and I think there's like I've obviously been very that much was very oversimplified that yeah. there's very m- much more complex nuances mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see 
how a change in perspective will lead you, even from the same Christian conviction, to vote uh, a very different policy trajectory. Yes, but I do believe that um, oftentimes we look at policy and we think, how does this safeguard me? And how does this um, benefit me? Or how does this negatively affect me? Or how does this positively affect me? Um, And I do think that even in our voting, like we're called to be uh, people that have the hearts of servants. And so how can we even maybe sacrifice something uh, so that it can become beneficial for somebody else? Uh, And that that isn't easy as we're voting. But I think what's important is that we're trying to all arrive at what is the biblical way to vote, what is um, the themes of scripture that we see are important to the heart of God, and how do we actually exercise those based on what's sitting on our ballot. Um, and there might be some people that they, they just can't reconcile things, and they choose not to vote on something in particular. Uh, I know that happens often as well. Like, oh, they yeah. just don't have... I haven't voted for the president in the last two election cycles. I voted for everything else on the ballot, but not because I'm just like, I don't like any of these. I don't feel good about any of these candidates. Right. And so I just left it blank, you know? Yeah. And some people would say that you 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 weren't Christian for doing it was that. A, which, I was a poor steward of my vote or right, whatever. And it, right. maybe, but I don't feel that way. Yeah. And so I think that as we think about um, this idea of the, what's the Christian way to vote is you can't throw that out the window a hundred percent. Like you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater in that. Like there's no Christian way to vote. So I'm just going to vote however I feel or how, whatever I want. That's a bad starting point because we need <laughs> scripture to transform our mind and our hearts. And the way that it does that is it actually changes the way that we go about viewing what's on the ballot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because you think about maybe somebody who isn't a follower of Christ and what they're voting is, is uh, different than what you're voting because their motivation is different. Their worldview is different. So you still have to try and arrive at uh, what is the like biblical way to view this topic. What's the biblical way to understand this topic. Um, And it still isn't going to be so cut and dry, but at least you, you entered into the decision from a good starting point. Um, So, Yes, still try and vote like from a a Christian worldview, please. Uh, but then, <laughs> please, but, pretty please. Yeah, but then also don't uh, accuse somebody of voting different than you voted. Um, don't accuse them of being not a believer or a heretic or just whatever other thing you can throw at them, because. Um, the government of America is not going to uh, sit underneath um, the morals and the values of the church. And that is because um, most of the people who are running our country are not followers of Jesus. So that means the way that they are arriving at decisions is based on the wisdom of man and the guidance of man and not the wisdom and guidance of God. So why are we shocked when they are like making decisions based on the wisdom of man? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we look ahead to what uh, promises to be a, an exciting, if not troubling uh, election year, uh, if you could give one 
piece of advice to all the Christians in America who are thinking about politics and presidential things uh, this year, what would that be? Please be less outraged. This year has the ability, um, if we lead in outrage, to cause division within the church. Um, and not based on any great uh, theological heresy, right? So you see division within the church when people start like preaching heresy or preaching something other than the gospel. Um, But this year has the ability, unfortunately, to um, divide us over things that certainly should not be dividing the church. Uh, We should be able to sit among people who are genuine believers, genuine followers of Jesus, who are doing their best to live that out in their daily life and doing their best to live that out in the way that they vote. And um, maybe they ended up voting differently than you because it's not that simple. Uh, and so how can we still commune with them? How can we still love them? How can we still, uh, consider them as friends and consider our bond to them, um, because of Christ greater than the differences of the way we voted. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think the one thing I am praying for and pleading is that we would be less outraged this year, um, especially with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to use a, a white evangelical phrase, I would like to echo that. While at the same time saying, uh, in the words of Samuel Jackson in Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts, because not to be a downer, but 2024 is likely to be a pretty uh, politically volatile year. Um, I think regardless of what happens in the election, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of uh, sporadic political violence that breaks out somewhere in the country. Um, And I don't say that to be like a fear monger or like, but to say like, decide now to be cool. You know what I mean? (laughs) Decide now not to lose (laughs) your head. Decide now how you want to react when uh, things go really sideways in the fall. 10 months out, decide if this goes the worst possible way I think it could go and America's in flames or whatever it is, decide now what the godly response is going to be to that and then just do that, you know? Well, and the reality is when we become so crazy about something that happened counter to the way that we wanted it, it's almost as if we placed our hope and our faith in the outcome of that decision rather than in Christ who rules over America and other countries and has for generations after generations and centuries after centuries. So the, um, not to be like super, um, like canned answer, but like we know the end of the story. Um, not of 2024, 
But we know the end. Imagine. Of the story. And who's going to win is. Yeah. yeah. No, it's Jesus. Uh, But we know the end of the story is that Jesus uh, reigns forever. Like his kingdom is going to fully be realized one day. And uh, that is that greater hope that we're supposed to like put our trust in. And so when things go a bit sideways now, like you said, like just be cool because Jesus is still in control. Jesus is still on the throne and his um, plan of redemption is still being carried out. Even if right now it feels a little bit crazy, but I, I have some news for you. Um, It has been a little bit crazy before I was ever born. It's going to be a little bit crazy like long after and that is going to be the truth until Christ comes again. And so it's not to say we just throw our hands in the air and whatever. Like I don't need to participate in what's happening now. Uh, we do need to participate in trying to usher in the kingdom of God, right? But uh, don't put your hope and your trust so much in um, the way that you vote in hopes that something particular is going to happen. Um, we can actually put our hope and trust in something greater which is Christ. So regardless of the way things go at the end of 2024, it's still going to be okay. Yeah. And when I say be cool, what I don't mean is be apathetic because I think there's a lot of significant things happening uh, right now that Christians are going to have things to say about and they're going to have emotions about those things. And I think that that's all okay. But I think at the same time, uh, what we need to remember is that not only are we dealing with fellow Americans when we're in these conversations, we're dealing with fellow human beings who create who are created in the image of God. And so we need to bear that in mind. And we also need to bear that in mind, as Tamara said, that that Jesus is is not surprised by this. Jesus is not uh, worried. Uh, Jesus is on the throne. And um, we know how the story ends in the end, uh, regardless of what happens to America in 2024, um, we've read the the last page of the book, as Billy Graham said, and uh, it's all going to be all right. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kindnessproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, or art to make, or perhaps businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. If you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, Search and follow the Messenger Movement podcast on your favorite podcast platform today or lifeaudio.com.